Right on. Hey, let's pray as we come to God's word. Lord, we just thank you that we can uh, come to this Sermon on the Mount. It's an incredible passage of scripture, Jesus, where you just lay out your values for us and we want to have your heart. We want to have the values of your kingdom, Lord. We want to live with, uh, with the right heart as citizens of your kingdom. And uh, so as we come, we just, as we come to the word this morning, Jesus, I want to acknowledge that you're, you're the king of the kingdom. We are your subjects. And so Jesus, we want to live lives that are honoring to you, lives that increasingly reflect you. And Lord, we're asking that you, would, that you would touch our hearts, that you would change us this morning, that your spirit would speak to us, and that, that we would be transformed. And so God, I just pray even as we come into this time in the word, that not one of us would be the same when it's finished, and that we would more and more reflect the glory of Jesus. And so God, we just bless, uh, we ask your blessing upon this time in Jesus' name, amen. Right on. Hey, so we're back, back here in the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at the manifesto of Jesus. You've had to listen to me introduce it that way lots of times here. Um, this is the constitution of the kingdom. Jesus is communicating the values of his kingdom, the values that are to govern the hearts of his citizens. These are the core values of the kingdom of heaven. And in chapter 6, if I just back up really quick this morning, we've seen the call to secret service. We uh, then began to look last week at this obstacle that Jesus began to talk about that can almost go undetected in each one of our lives. Just like a rock under the surface of the ocean that can sink a ship. So this issue can, can shipwreck your faith. And we identified it as worldliness. And last week we, we talked about worldliness uh, as, a me, as a, an outlook or a mentality in life, a way of looking at things, a way of looking at life where we get overly concerned about material things. Uh, we get concerned about ordinary things rather than spiritual things. And rather than things of the kingdom, these ordinary material things just take too high of a priority in our life. And so in this text, you know, Jesus takes us to this place where we have to consider this potentially deadly obstacle and bring awareness in each one of our lives uh, to this obstacle because it's there in each one of our hearts. And last week we talked about the first way that Jesus identifies worldliness in our lives. And he did it this way through talking about the love of the world. And we talked about what we treasured. Uh, we talked about, uh, what else did we talk about? Blanking out. We talked about what we serve. And we talked about one more thing. There's one in the middle. Come on, who can remind me? Come on. Vision. Thank you, Andrew. We talked about the quality of our vision, love of the world. And so this morning we're going to, I don't feel like we've got time to walk through all that again. I wanted to, but uh, this morning we're going to just head right down to the next part of this topic where Jesus addresses the second issue that's a sign of worldliness in our life. And it's this problem, the problem of anxiety. And so uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 if you're not there already. And we'll pick it up in verse 25 and we're going to read this text. It says this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious uh, for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Anxiety, by definition of the original language where Jesus keeps saying here, do not be anxious, means this, to be troubled with cares. To be distracted by cares. It even means to promote your self-interest. The Hebrew word for anxiety means this, to have a heaviness of heart. Uh, Canadian statistics say this, that in, in 2013, that 3 million Canadians, which is almost 12% of the population, uh, aged 18 years and older, reported that they had mo a mood or an anxiety disorder. That it was actually a disorder. And, and I, th I think about that stat. Like, to me, that's huge. We're talking more than 1 in 10. And the crazy thing is, is that that's those who are willing to acknowledge that there's actually an issue in regards to anxiety. And when I think about anxiety, I mean, I honestly have to say this, that, that, that there isn't, I don't think, anyone who deals with anxiety on some uh, form, some level, to be troubled with cares, to be distracted by the cares, by cares, to be concerned about self-interest, to, to have that heaviness of heart. You know, when I think about anxiety, I, I want to level the playing field a little bit as we go into this text because to me, I just think that it's a very human thing to experience anxiety, don't you? It, it's natural. Well, natural for an unregenerate person. It's even natural for the born-again person, but the difference is this, is we're going to see that there can be victory with anxiety for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in dealing with anxiety... Um, you know, I would say this, the, the most important thing as we start to have this conversation is that we not put the, the cart ahead of the horse. First things first. Before we can be, even begin to root this issue out of, out of our heart, the heart of anxiety, we need to be in right relationship with Jesus Christ. In right relationship with the Father. These words of Jesus are words to his disciples. To those who would come after him. And so, if you on any level are hoping to find victory in the area of anxiety, it's first things first. Have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the starting point. Have you invited Jesus into your life to be Lord? Have you given up the throne? And if you haven't, then this morning's a good morning to do that. If you have, then these words about anxiety are for each one of us. Jesus says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. 
And Jesus mentions a number of areas where people can be anxious. Verse says, what you eat. You know, I think about, you, you know, people worry about what they eat. I was laughing this morning. I was laughing at Rini. Do you want to know why? Because she came to church and she set a book down on the front row called Whole30. And I thought, look at that. There we are. We're thinking, we are thinking about what we eat all the time. In our culture, it's not, oh, where's the next meal going to come from? It's more like, how am I going to control my eating? We think about it. We're obsessed with what we eat. Just think about the, you know, the fads of diet, right? Whole 30. You know, Weight Watchers, Atkins, South Beach, Paleo, Slim Fast, whatever it is. I mean, whatever your, your cup of tea is for 2016. We think about what we eat. You think about, you know, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating. They say the stats that's surrounding Eating dis disorders are actually insufficient. That it's hard to get a true handle on the problem. But in that conversation, one of the things that's been interesting over the last few years that I've heard is that they say that there's, it, there, that there's an increasing issue even amongst young men with these eating disorders. We think about what we eat. We think about what, what we drink. The Coca-Cola company is worth $180 billion. Not bad. Uh, people think about what they drink. They, they advertise it on their t-shirts. They advertise it on the ball caps that they wear. You know, you're defined as cultured by the wine that you drink. You're defined as hip by the microbrewery that you hang out at. Our culture thinks about what they drink. We think about our bodies. We're obsessed with body image, you know. I go through the magazine. I, like you go through the, uh, to the grocery store and you go to the till to pay for things and... I look at the images on some of the magazines and the first thought is, I always think this. I wonder if that's real. I wonder if that, that's a real picture or if that's just been edited and it's a fake image and we don't know it's been if it's been modified. And you know, much of the health craze is not so much motivated about being healthy as it is about people idolizing the body, idolizing their own body. You know, we're concerned about what we put on, you know, trying to keep up with fashion trends, which is almost like a dog trying to chase its tail, right? Right, when it seems that you have the image down, you're out of style. <laughs> and we chase the changing trends because we're, we seek to find some sort of uh, self-worth in being cool or whatever it is. All of these things that make us anxious reveal that in our hearts there is this worldliness that is deep down in there. It, you know, we should be able to enjoy food and, and drink and be healthy and dress well without letting our heart be overwhelmed with the care of such things. See, this life of yours that you tend to worry about and become anxious, I mean, think about it. Where did it come from? How did you get it? Who gave it to you? And the answer is that it's a gift from God. And so Jesus is going to use this line of logic to help us understand. He's going to talk about the lesser to the greater. And he says this, look at the birds of the air. They neither, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I mean, I, I, imagine this. Jesus says this, that watching birds is healthy for your faith. Any bird watchers in the room? 
he promoted bird watching. All right, you know what? The funniest thing happened this morning. I was walking over to the church. I, I was a little bit pushed for time, but I thought, no, I really want to walk. It's so nice. So, and I'm coming down along the street below our place towards the marina, and there's a little creek there. I don't know what it's called, and there's a little park. Uh, just the bluff side of the marina. And I looked, and in the ditch, there was a, a mother duck, and she had about eight little ducklings. They were tiny. And I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. What a gift for me to get to see that this morning. And they saw me on the road, so they started going down the creek. And so I thought, I'm walking, I want to look at these birds. And so I walked, and there was this little bridge. It's just like maybe five or six feet over. It's practically a ditch, not a creek. And I looked down in, and the grasses had come up and the plants, and I could not see those. I could not see that mother duck and her ducklings. They had just tucked away into the grass and disappeared. Look, you know, Jesus promoted bird watching. He said it's healthy for your faith. And thank goodness, you know, he didn't promote eating worms. God, God sustains the birds. He provides food for them and he sustains us. You know, man, it's a little different. We, we, we sow seed, we reap crops, we gather into the storehouse. It's a different process than the birds. Thank goodness. But we're never to worry about these things, Jesus said. You know, you can't control the the rain, you can't control the weather. That's God's job. You work, you go about your thing, you sow, and you, rele- you rely on God to bring the increase. See, God is our father, Jesus says, and he cares for his children. And to say otherwise would be like for me as a father, you know, to feed my dog and not feed my kids. They, they, they'd come and take my kids away. I'd never do that. And because I take care of and I feed my dog... How much more would I feed my kids and take care of them? And so Jesus says, you're of more value than the birds. You know, I think about, I think about our world. You know, we, pray, we place pretty high, pretty high value on, anim, on the animal kingdom, don't we? We value whales more than we value babies. We value this more than we value human life, whatever, anim, whatever it might be. Not God. That's not a biblical worldview, actually, when we look at this. That God says, I look after the animal kingdom, therefore I will look after you. God values us. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. The lilies of the field. Just like, just like Jesus promoted bird watching, here he tells us that it's healthy to look at and to consider uh, the flowers. It's healthy for your faith. You know, over the last couple of weeks, just meditating on this passage, considering the text, I've been trying to, stop when I'm like going about things and I see flowers, so just go and look at them. To take peeks at them. You know, there, there is something simple and beautiful about a flower. Beautiful in uh, the design of God. And even the simplest flower, you know, it's, it's, it's so simple and man cannot recreate what God has created in the simplicity of his creation. You know, we, we did our trip to Egypt. I saw all of the gold of Tutankhamun. Amazing. 
You know, I've seen the gold and the silver and the brass and the copper instruments that will be used in the temple when it's built, in the Jewish temple. But none of those things compare with the beauty of just a simple flower. A simple flower. Not even anything produced for the kingdom of Solomon compares. Not the clothes of the man, likely the richest man in the history of the world, or the richest of kings in the history of the world. He pales in significance when compared with the lily of God's creation. The form, the design, the texture, the substance of the flower. That, that can't be imitated by anything that mankind can make. The hand of God, the glory of the Almighty seen in a simple flower. And if God would take such care to clothe the flower of the field, Jesus says this, how much more will he take care to see that you are clothed? And if God so clothes the grass of the field, shall he, uh, not much, so much, shall he not much more clothe you? You know, in the world, you think about, there's nothing more transient than the grass. <laughs> Sending the kids out to cut the grass, to weed whack the grass. We take our mowers and we cut it down and we, you know, if we're not mulching it, we collect it into the bags and throw it in the compost pile and we let it rot or we burn it. But Jesus says this, that you and I are not transient like the grass. We're created for eternity. We're designed for immortality. God has set eternity in the heart of men. And if God will take the time to clothe the grass, how much more will he take the time to care for you and I? You know, it's a funny thing when you think about it. When you think about anxiety and all of the things that can just set the human heart off, it's strange that we would trust God through faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and then we'd be anxious about the rest of life. Wait a minute. God, you put the biggest issue in my life in order. You're going to save me in all of eternity. And I'm going to worry about food and clothing and these things. And that's the point of Jesus. That's the very point of Jesus. If you're going to trust Jesus for the greater in your life, for salvation, then you may as well trust him for the less. You may as well in faith trust him for everything else. And he says this. He says, oh, you of little faith. What is Jesus saying? You know, when I, when I read this, I think, you know, we don't want to hear this. We don't, we don't want to acknowledge this. I think even in, in church life, maybe it's not like cool or kosher anymore. But, but anxiety and worry is due to a lack of faith, Jesus says. Little faith. Or I said it. I broke the rules. You're not supposed to say that, right? Or something, I don't know. But Jesus said it. And it's something that we don't want to say is kosher and, and, and is not acceptable. But Jesus said it, that, that anxiety and faith, anxiety is connected to faith. Unless you think that singles you out for having little faith, let me confess this before you. I have anxiety. Lots. All the time. I'm not, you know diagnosed or whatever. Maybe I should be. I worry about these little things that Jesus speaks of. And I happen to believe that you probably worry about them too. On some level. And so what Jesus speaks to here is something that is common to humanity 
and common to his followers. And, and you know, you and I each battle levels of anxiety on, at, at, at different points in our lives. And faith, faith is taking a position of trusting God. You know, in my experience, I found, I found it to be true that, that when I bring my distracting cares, when I bring my worries, when I bring my fears, my anxieties, my desire to promote self-interest to Jesus, he takes them and he replaces them with his peace. A peace that surpasses understanding. The situation hasn't changed. But he gives a peace that surpasses my understanding and surpasses that of the, the thoughts of my heart even. You know, recently, there was something bothering me. I was so anxious. And I was out walking and I, and I was like, man, I just gotta pray. And I began to just pray through the armor of God as I was thinking these anxious thoughts. And in my prayer, I came to the helmet of salvation. I said, Jesus, I just put on the helmet of salvation. I pray, Jesus, that salvation would guard my thoughts and protect my mind and drive out the lies of the enemy and help my thinking to be focused on salvation. And you know what? Instantaneously, in a second, you can't describe it. There's not a pill that you can take to experience it. My mind went totally clear. It's like I'd had four cups of coffee and all of a sudden, <laughs> laser beam, man. Laser beam, sharp and clear and it was so real to me. And I had to take anxieties to the Lord because ultimately those things that were distracting me and causing worry in my life were, were due to a lack of faith. And in that sense, I, I would almost say this, like as I was thinking about this, in a certain sense, anxiety is like a friend. Because it's supposed to drive you to Jesus. It's supposed to send you to your maker. And if you deal with anxieties, I, 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 I by, by no way in any means this morning do I want to shame you. Because, you know, it seems to be this culture in Christianity where it's like, this is the thing we don't talk about and it's not cool and Christians shouldn't deal with this. I don't want to shame you in any way. I think that if, if we were sitting with Jesus on that mount as he was teaching the message to us this morning, I don't think the, the tone of Jesus' voice would be condemnation. I don't think his mission would be to create shame in our lives. I think his tone was love and I think his tone was grace. That he was preaching about freedom. That he was giving tools to navigate something that is very real in the human heart, anxiety. And Jesus wants us to learn to navigate when we're dealing with that so that we don't hit the rock to sink the ship. And he says this, so you of little faith. That's not a word of condemnation. It's the words of a master seeking to inspire greater faith in those who would follow after him. It is his invitation for us to trust the Father in heaven. You trusted him for the greater. Now you must learn to trust him for the lesser as well. You know, the aim of our life should be greater faith, right? Greater faith. Think about faith. You know, is, is the topic of faith is the topic of faith confined only to the issue of salvation? You know, does, it not, does faith not go beyond salvation? Does not faith to extend to, the, extend to the whole of life, not just the area of 
salvation, but to all of life. Faith began when we came to Jesus. We saw ourselves in light of our sin. Helpless to save ourselves. Jesus came into the world. Jesus died for the sin of mankind. He, he gave his life to reconcile us to God. He was raised from the dead. We believe on him. We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. The scripture says the righteous live by faith. And faith in the son of God that is something that extends beyond salvation to all of life. It's to touch every area and every corner of our lives. And so to be little in faith is to be mastered by circumstances instead of mastering them. To let worldliness get a hold of our, of our hearts. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to live life above circumstances. Where the scripture says we can even rejoice in tribulation. What? That's what the scripture says, that we can learn to rejoice in tribulation. It's the heart of faith. Where we look down on the situations of life and we rise to the height that the Bible declares in the promises of God. And it's a thinking faith that looks to the birds, that looks to the flowers, that looks to the grass of the field, that considers the promises of God. Faith thinks. Faith isn't blind. Faith is not an emotion. Faith stops and faith sinks. Thinks and it, I almost said it stinks. Faith stinks. Faith stops and it thinks and it considers the circumstances and it considers God who is greater than circumstance. And anxiety happens when you and I let something else control our thoughts, control our hearts. We let it govern us and it puts us on the run and things spiral out of control. Little faith does not take the statements of the Bible at face value. Little faith fails to realize the implications of salvation. It fails to realize its position and its identity in Christ Jesus. And the trouble with you and I is that, that we fail to realize that we are children of the Father. We're children of the Father. And if we would lay hold of that, if that would grip our hearts, don't you think we'd never worry again? What would we ever worry about? We're children of the Father. We're children of God. His plans towards us, his purposes towards us are gracious and good and full of love. We've brought up Abraham a few times over the last few weeks. I mean, Abraham was put to the supreme task, the ultimate test. He, did, he couldn't understand. He could not understand. Sacrifice Isaac. I don't understand God. Why would you ask me to do that? I do not understand. But here's what I do understand. I understand your purposes. I understand your plans for. Plans are sure. I, I believe in your promises. And if you say I have to have. To have to sacrifice Isaac. Then, then I know you can raise him from the dead. And little faith. I mean that's great faith isn't it? When you look at the life of Abraham, little faith fails to understand the love of God. That's why Paul said, I pray that you'll know the unknowable love of God in all of its unmeasurable measure. Little faith fails to understand the care of God, that he's concerned about the birds and he's concerned about the grass and the, and the flowers, how much more you and I Little faith thinks about 
Little faith fails to think about the power and the ability of God for whom nothing is impossible. Psalm 34 that we read this morning as we started our service says this, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. And I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You see, we must remember that the power of God is working for us on our behalf. And little faith is the result of failing to apply the things that we know about God to our, to our life. The things that we know about Father. It's a failure to claim what we believe in the middle of life circumstances. And Jesus did not, you know, Jesus did not save you with a faith for salvation and then leave us to whimper the rest of every other day. He wants us to have faith in the midst of all of life circumstances. You know, I think about some of the different characters in the Bible. There's so many of them that dealt with faith, with, with, with issues of discouragement, anxiety, depression. Paul said, I don't want to live. He said, I don't want to live. Jeremiah was totally overcome with depression. And he said, I think about David who said, uh, well, we just, we just look, can look at his story. Read the Psalms, the, the place that anxiety and things would grip his hearts at different times. I, I think about Jonah, who even let just the little silliest thing go, I don't want to live anymore. <laughs> I don't want to live. And Jesus would have it, that we not be anxious about life, but instead that we'd learn to walk and live this life of faith in the midst of all that we face. Do not be anxious about life. But then he says this, he says that the exercise of faith has to affect your speech. You know, I'm not a positive faith confession guy. That is not my gig, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, uh, the whole thing. I don't believe it's what the Bible teaches, but faith does have a way of speaking that is different from anxious speech. Look what Jesus says, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That word Gentile, that the Gentiles seek after these things, it just means this, it means heathen. A heathen person. A person who does not worship God and a person who does not know any better. They know nothing about God and in a real sense, they live life in this world without God. You know, when you think about those who don't know Jesus, there's kind of two prevailing principles that grab, grab people's hearts in this world. One is this, they think everything's accidental. It just happens, you can't control anything. You never know what's gonna happen. There's no purpose in life, there's no design, there's no order, everything is by chance. No rhyme, no reason, and you get what you get. Whatever happens next, happens next. Others take this sort of heart of fatalism where there's nothing you can do about life and whatever comes your way, comes your way and you just hope things don't go badly for you and what will be, will be. They're, they're similar, but they're like opposite sides of the coin. As Christians, we reject those things. We, we reject that life is accidental and we reject fatalism because what the Bible teaches is that God is in control. 
that the universe is in the palm of its maker. That life is in the hands of God, that it's not out of control, but that the Father has all things under his control, in his control. And Jesus is saying this, he says, if you're living life full of anxiety and worry, then you are living like those who are spiritually dead. You're living like a pagan. You're living like someone who has a heathen view of this life. And so the question we should ask ourselves is this, is that do, do I face things that happen to me in the same way that the heathen do, that the people who don't know Jesus do? When, when things happen in my life that are difficult, you know, maybe they're about food or they're about drink or clothing or some difficulty in relationship or some financial problem. How do I face them? How do I talk about them? When everyone else is in crisis, you know, this summer, there's going to be a water crisis. I'm just giving you a heads up. It's coming. <laughs> Sorry. Don't get me started. There's going to be a water crisis. When there's a water crisis, how are we going to talk? Does my faith affect my view of life and how I speak. You see, we, we take the things of life and we put them in the context of a faith relationship with Jesus. We put it in the context of everything we know about God and what the word of God declares about his nature. And Jesus says this about the Father. He knows what you need. That, that nothing can happen to us apart from God. And that helps us understand the nature of anxiety. See, anxiety rests upon a misunderstanding of who God is or a lack of trust in his nature. It, it exposes what our heart is seeking and where it's finding refuge. What are you seeking? And so Jesus gives direction for those who would come after him. He says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. See, it's no good to just tell you to look at the flowers and the birds and then good luck. You know, it's not good enough to tell you to, that, you know, that to distrust is what it, a Gentile does. You know, it's like, oh, I got some anxiety. Well, don't do that. It's not what he says. You know, he just doesn't leave you with no solution. But he says this, that the heart must be filled with the supreme and transcendent desire of seeking something. And it's the supreme object of God, our Heavenly Father. And, and when we seek Him, when we are drawing near to Him, when we invest our lives in that direction, there's no room for anxious care about lesser things. I mean... It all goes strangely dim in the light of who Jesus is, doesn't it? You know, I would tell you this. You want to worry about something? Worry about your relationship with the Father. Seeking. Seek Him. And seeking carries the means of just earnestly seeking Him. Intensely. Seeking Him intensely. Living for this. Live for the kingdom, Jesus says. What we have to do is put the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. Which reminds me where Jesus started this whole message. Back at the start of chapter 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. 
And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, when I observe people and, and have watched people over the years, you know, what, one of the things I've noticed that it's, it's those who seek after the kingdom of God that have the greatest confidence in God. You ever watch that? Just people that have confidence in God. And I go, what, what, where's that coming from? It's because they're seeking the kingdom. And Jesus makes it really simple for us. See, if your confidence is down here, it might be pointing to the fact that, that maybe the kingdom doesn't have the priority that it should have in your life. Maybe seeking the kingdom is down on the list. And if you will seek the kingdom, confidence will follow. In the kingdom, it's not confidence first and then seeking. It's seeking first and then confidence. Uh, confidence is the train car that follows the engine of seeking. And as we get to know God, we, we grow in the confidence of who he is. And seeking the kingdom is the opposite of being worldly, isn't it? And the result is, is that we'll trust God. There's one more area where Jesus instructs us not to worry. It's in verse 34. He says this, Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We talked a little bit about this last week. Jesus doesn't say, you know, don't invest, don't save for retirement, don't buy insurance policies. We're not going anywhere crazy like that. I didn't even touch on it. I'm not even touching on that stuff this morning. But he says this, do, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. What does anxiety do? Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of the trouble that could come down the pipe. Anxiety empties today of its strength. Anxiety doesn't bless tomorrow. It robs right now, this moment, with God. It does not give escape from evil, but rather it makes me unfit to cope with the things that are going on in my life right now, today. And each day has burden enough. Don't you agree? <laughs> that each day has burden enough for the strength that God gives today. I mean, why add the weight of tomorrow on today? Today's enough. That's what Jesus is saying. And God gives us strength for each day. But he does not give us power to, to bear those things which we manufacture in our own heart or in our own mind. In the fear of our heart. You know, worry, worry's got an active imagination, doesn't it? It's like, how did I get there? I thought this and then, I don't know, man. The house burnt down. Everything went wrong. Like, like it all went sideways. Worry has a very active imagination. But God has strength for us for today. And anxious care is, is contrary to nature, the birds. You know, it's contrary to revelation. It's contrary to God's providence. That's his protective care. It, uh, anxiousness weakens and it distracts. It takes the sunshine out of the landscape. Casts a shadow over all that is good. And I'll tell you this, God has given you a beautiful mind that he wants to rule over. He's given us the helmet of salvation. He's given us a beautiful mind, not so that we would torment ourselves. Instead of, a, you know, imagining all the possible evil, maybe we should be dwelling on eternity. That's why Jesus said, or Paul told us that salvation's a helmet 
Think about salvation. Think about eternity. Set your mind on things that you're hoping for in Christ. It's fun to look forward to the future, isn't it? I, I look forward to the future. You know, I remember, I remember, I'm 40. I remember those years, you know, when you're like a teenager and you're like, wow, in 2015, I turned 40 last year, 2015, I'll be 40. Holy smokes. I wonder what life will be like. I wonder what things, kids, marriage, this changes, that changes, where we've traveled, this and that, where we're serving God. It's normal to look forward to the future. It's a normal part of humanity. But in our looking forward, we can take that low road, that low level where we go, ah, and we fear the future. Or we can look beyond and above even just those wonderful things in life to the hope of eternity and all that is promised us in Christ. Look at if this text tells us something, it's this. Don't let anxiety rob you of living for Jesus. 100% of the time, worry and anxiety is, is a failure to grasp and apply faith. And a, a large part of the exercise of faith and learning to live the life of faith is refusing anxious thoughts and instead casting our cares upon the Lord knowing that he cares for us and then watching him transform our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. You know, Jesus, he's the prince of peace. The gospel is a message of peace. That's why it's so awesome that God would send his son, Jesus, to give his life for us uh, on the cross to bring us into right relationship with God. What was his heart for us? He, to show us his love, but to bring us into a relationship with peace. My friends, God wants peace to rule in your hearts and in your minds. There's no shame in anxiety. There's no shame in worrying in these things. But in the midst of them, we learn to come to our Father who cares for us and loves us. Amen? Hey, would you guys stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And we're going to pray. And this morning, um, we're going to have a time of communion. But I wanted to ask that maybe uh, we have a couple prayer teams at the back. Maybe Trevor and Janet, Darcy and Tam, would you guys mind doing that? And maybe you just like, just like prayer over some area that's just in your life maybe getting the better of you and it's hard to wrestle it to the ground and it's hard to see these things through the heart of, heart of faith. Man, Bring that to somebody, a brother and sister in the Lord, and let them pray for you. And uh, let's trust God to just, for each one of us today, to set us free from those things that cause anxiety in our lives, that we would grow in that outlook of faith and that heart of faith. And so this morning, as you, as you prepare uh, to come to the communion table and we worship, <coughs> I'm going to invite you just as you search your heart, you know, as you think about the cross, you think about salvation, you think about all that Jesus has done, that you do what David did. You'd say, God, search me and see, is there any anxious thought? And would you ask, I'm going to invite you to ask the Lord to meet you in that place in your heart today, all right? And then as you're prepared and as you're ready, I invite you just to come to uh, the Lord's table here and we'll uh, partake of communion together in a few minutes.